Welcome to the Internet Advisor Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Foster Brown. Along with my co-host, Gary Baker, and our team of experts, we've been helping people like you since 1998 with your computer problems, introducing you to valuable resources, and promoting tech enterprise throughout Michigan. The Internet Advisor is a two-hour podcast recorded every week at the studios of historic WJR Radio in Detroit. Both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor... Welcome to the Internet Advisor, your place for answers to your computer questions since 1998, with your co-hosts Gary Baker and Foster Brown and their team of tech experts. The door is always open at internetadvisor.net, on Facebook and through Twitter. But right now it's time to get you in touch with your helpful hosts on this week's edition of Internet Advisor. A very good afternoon to you. Hi, this is Foster Brown, the host of the program and also your producer. And we have got a wonderful show lined up for you this afternoon. We're going to be following the whole ransomware story, part two, the second part of it. Matter of fact, it may be a little more deadly than the first part of it. We'll be talking with Caston Thomas, a security expert, about that. And also in studio, we have Rick Beckers from CloudTech One and Mike Brennan to talk about a very special Internet of Things conference coming up this fall. Welcome to the Internet Advisor. Ah, don't look outside. We're going we're gonna to have fun here for the next two hours on the program. Hi, I'm Foster Brown. Ed Rudell's in studio here. Hi, Ed. How you doing? Coffee's fresh, ready to go. Aha, <laughs> yeah, and it's strong too, Cal Carson. Keep us awake for the entire show. My thinking is, if it's raining and wet outside, what a better place to be inside <laughs> with the radio turned on, a nice hot steaming cup of joe and the internet advice. There you go. And uh, by the way, don't forget, our second hour is all about your questions specifically. And uh, you can call that number, 800-859-0957 to get involved in a conversation in hour number two. But right now, uh, we're, we've invited somebody to be back with us uh, once again this week because there's been a, a follow-up to the ransomware scare that we talked about this last week. Not just a scare, but an actual you know invasion of computers around the world. And we're bringing back with us and have in studio right now, Caston Thomas from Interworks. How are you doing, Caston? I'm doing great, Foster, and uh, heading to the Tigers game tonight. So. Oh, I hope, hope he brought a, a, an Aqualung. <laughs> no, I brought an umbrella, but it's going to clear up at 7 o'clock. There is a pitch. true believer. You know something? It's really, sa- it's really sad that a guy as nice as cast, and the only time we want to talk to him is when something's going bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You, get, you must have to get a complex out of that, being a security guy. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> when, when it was all going down, we're used to this, and it was just another day at the office. Did you? I'm just curious. Did you get a lot of calls when the uh, ransomware first went off the uh, WannaCry? No, because we focus on the big companies and the technologies that we're using are are way ahead of that. So my guys were making sure that everything was turned on and off. Gotcha. uh, Rather than getting the the panicked call, if you will. Yeah, when you say your technologies are way ahead of that, tell me what you mean by that. Well, corporations are, are building multiple levels of security. You know, they don't just patch windows. They're providing firewalls at the perimeter that are very, very sophisticated. Mm. They've built multiple levels of detection and multiple levels of protection. 
And uh, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get hit because there's always a back door in sure. somewhere. Yeah. But Or uh, a social engineering where somebody brings something in that they shouldn't be bringing in. Yeah, and that's probably what happened at FedEx and a lot of these other places mm. because uh, the WannaCry virus really didn't use email to propagate. No. It no. was using a back door in Windows. Right. Mm. It was using a, um, so, uh, a security vulnerability that Microsoft patched two months ago. And, and what happened was is that many machines, including Windows XP, Microsoft doesn't provide patches for Windows XP anymore. Mm. So, I mean, so uh, overseas, there's a lot of people that are still running XP, uh, and they were unpatched. Is that, is that it? That it was the overseas companies that have and, not gotten on board. And yet. there's a lot of companies that just, they, they delay, if you will, how frequently they install Microsoft patches. Why? You well, it's why? a little more than that. Is it? Okay. Yeah, because... Uh, China and Russia got particularly hit. Well, yeah, they did. Well, yeah. Guess well, what those countries do? They have illegal versions of they Microsoft have, they have pirated Windows 10. Oh. Exactly. And it can't be patched by Microsoft. I, does anybody find... Uh, Cal, I'm sorry, are you going to comment before? No, no. The only thing I was going to say is that what Kasten was talking about with uh, with corporations being, you know, multi-levels of security and stuff like that. The, the, I think the biggest thing that, uh, y- that maybe people didn't hear him saying was you have to be proactive to avoid these sort of things by doing these things ahead of time as opposed to being reactive after you've gotten hit by a, a particular ransomware or something well, like that. Well, we got lucky in the United States that, that because... Because uh, as the sun turns, right, and corporations turn on, someone in England, right, London, that young man actually discovered the off switch and uh, propagated that to security firms. And we were able to, I, I don't know what was done with that. Well, I could get really technical, but I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> okay. I, I need about two hours. <laughs> okay. So well, basically, you... they were able to block the, those somehow that from propagating over Yeah, it, it calls into question uh, how sophisticated the person who wrote this uh, WannaCry uh, malware was. Well, they bought it off the open market, if you will, the, the, dark, the dark web is what I heard. They bought it off the dark web, um, and it had been NSA tools, well, which it, had been stolen. It was published uh, uh, by a group called the Shadow Brokers, okay. who's put a number of things that were stolen from the NSA out onto the open market. Some of it was openly published, and uh, some of it is up for sale on the dark web as well. Now, tell me something. I understand uh, and had teased this at the beginning of the program that there is actually a second attack that's going on with a um, maybe a more sinister attack with this, something called Adil, Adil Clues. Adil Clues. I don't know how you pronounce it because it looks like a combination of letters. Yeah, it's one of those. I'm not going to try either. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's said to be more dastardly than the water crime. I wouldn't say it's more dastardly. The the thing is, is that the user never knows that it's loaded because what it's going out and doing is calculating bitcoins. And so it's running a program to create money, to create bitcoins out on the open market. So it's just grabbing the processor and slowing computers down. So far, there's nothing malicious about that that would hurt the user or their data or anything like that. But uh, uh, there, there are rumors that there's also a back door so that if they want to change the purpose 
of of that malware that they could do that. And, and that was a big thing a couple of years ago. I remember a couple of guys from our group uh, were basically saying, I'm throwing up a couple servers and you could download the software and you just let it run and run and run and it starts making Bitcoins for you. Yep. And now they're propagating that to hundreds of thousands of machines and that's going to be more profitable. Oh, yeah. The thing about WannaCry is it really didn't hit that many, many computers. And it was only 300 bucks. Yeah, it was three hundred bucks, but that's Bitcoins. because the the people who write ransomware, uh, these are well controlled, uh, very profitable companies. Insidious as they may be, they're out there doing their own types of social surveys and finding out that that three hundred dollars is about the magic point where they that's can a sweet make point. the most more than three hundred dollars. Less people will pay it. Uh, when we come back, uh, and uh, Cassin Thomas is our guest here. He's uh, with Interworks at uh, Ann Arbor, a security agency there. When we come back, I want to find out, I want to get your opinion on, on who was behind this, because there is some rumor that this was North Korea. And I guess I've always found it hard taking them terribly seriously, but maybe it's about time to do that. Back in just a moment with the Internet Advisor. <laughs> We should mention that Mr. Baker is not with us today because he is sailing the, the bounding main. He is in the Caribbean someplace right now. Uh, he's in the process of getting his boat. Well, I didn't mean to make that joke about whoever put that virus out there probably just wanted to buy a boat and didn't think it, <laughs> and didn't think it was going to go as far as you it know, did. You know, that's interesting. <laughs> Gary's not in gone. here today. Hmm. Hmm, I wonder what's going on. <laughs> we all know Gary better than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Definitely. we do. We do. Our guest in studio, of course, is Mr. Kasten Thomas from Interworks. We're talking about uh, security. And um, one of the things I asked you, uh, just before we went to the break, and maybe you could comment on it quickly, Ed, I mean, other people have mentioned it, is that it's thought that the culprit with the uh, WannaCry, the ransomware, was, uh, was North Korea. Uh, your thoughts on that? I, I hold reservation. You know, every time uh, something like this has happened recently, we wanted to say it's the Russians, it's the Koreans. and uh, Or it's the Chinese. And the yeah. Russians and the Chinese got hit the hardest. <laughs> well, from, from my standpoint, you look at just all of the information out there, all of the ways to hack. There's actually ways that hackers use to point the culprit as somebody else because okay. they used a per certain type of code. What what we really have to do, and we always want answers immediately, is just be patient. Let the forensics analysis and analyst look at this. There's going to be a lot more information coming in. Mm. And quite frankly, whoever did this is going to have to spend the money that they got from the ransomware. Yeah. And uh, there are many ways that our security services can track that. You can spend the money as it, as it goes out. And very interesting. There was another hack that took place just recently. Um, it mentioned, it's called Edmodo? Yeah, and, and, and personally, I think this one's much more important and really key that uh, we do all those security practices that are important to keep us and our families and our schools and our cities safe. What happened was Edmodo, they had 77 million passwords stolen, emails, personal information, because Edmodo provides services to schools. So, Oh, it's not a credit card company. This no, is something no, no. like yeah. uh, Chalkboard or, or uh, Billboard. That's or schools Power School. Power yeah, School. Okay. Uh, this is a collaborative platform that teachers and students oh. and parents can collaborate. So those 77 million passwords are students, administrators, teachers, parents. And, you know, probably 
I would guess 70% of the passwords on there were also used on people's AOL, Gmail, yeah, Google yeah. Mail, maybe even their corporate accounts because you, we, use, we, we reuse passwords. Mm-hmm. You know, and what really bugs me is whenever I sign up for some websites, you know, banking schools, like if I was to go to a school, they want, you know, usually uh, uh, for the initial account creation, your social security number. Sure. And and they store that, or, or visa numbers. And I'm like, you don't need that information. Well, I'm sorry, we can't create that account without that information. Who's to say that they're going to keep that information safe? And this is what we're experiencing now. Here's what I found out. And this, this is what I started to do after I found out it worked. Don't give them your number. Just make up one at random. It doesn't matter. You have to remember what you made up for them. Mm-hmm. But just make make up one at random because they're not going to use it for anything well, there is other a pattern. than indexing. Actually, I do remember a little program out there that says, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, make up a social security number because there is a pattern to them. Yeah. But, but if you just make one up, they won't know what it is. And if someone steals it, you go like, who cares? But isn't that what Well, the that? school is going to know your social security number. There's nothing that from a, a potential standpoint, prevents the schools from cross-referencing that information. Mm, mm. Right. But the policies with these companies, if they're adhering to the standards and the regulations that are put forth for education, for retail organizations, for credit card companies, for hospitals, you know, there are, there are standards for how to save that information. For instance, a credit card uh, company or a person use, or an organization using credit card information cannot store the credit card number with the privacy number with the person's name and other information all on the same server. Those were those hard have to learned be in different places. Those, they, those were hard learned over the last oh, 10 years. No, right? Very hard, but the consumer yeah. pays yeah. the price. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of consumers, a couple of things I want to hit with you. And, and by the way, folks, if you go to internetadvisor.net, we have a link there to some very important points that Kasten has for us to remember as just general things to, to keep in mind. But one thing I want you to talk about quickly, and I, and I ran into this just recently. I was at a restaurant, and I had to do something quickly uh, to get online. And lo and behold, I'm an Xfinity customer, Comcast customer. I couldn't even get into one of their hotspots. So the temptation was to use the first open hotspot that I saw there. Sure, go right ahead. Yeah. Somebody will love you doing that. Oh. They're probably in Romania. Why or North isn't that wise? Yeah, why isn't that wise? <laughs> because the information isn't encrypted. And so if you're plugging in a, a credit card number or a bank account number or a password, uh, there are ways that uh, hackers can interject themselves in the middle. In technical terms, it's called a man in the middle attack. Mm-hmm. So, so even if I have established a SSL connection where it says HTTPS and, I'm, and I've gone to Am- Amazon and I want to make that purchase right now and I log <laughs> into Amazon through an open hotspot, you're saying... Oh, you're taking me down the technical path. There's nothing that prevents that person who's put up the false Wi-Fi yep. to provide you with the SSL connection. And then this oh. is the man in the middle. Ah. They decrypt it. And then they relay it to the real website, but in the process, they've captured the information. Darn. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. No, I just wanted <laughs> to know. I mean, how they, <laughs> that's so, that's the what, gotcha. so even establishing a VPN session would not uh, protect me. Well, VPN is different. Okay. If the VPN endpoint is someone that you also know and trust because oh, the I information gotcha. is encrypted on your PC, that's why... If you have the right security settings in Microsoft Outlook, as an example, 
it has its own VPN capability to the server that's protected from one end to the other end. Gaston, I'm not going to go through all the points that you have here as, as uh, suggestions for our listeners, but you have one. I clicked off to the article, and, and it says, uninstall any and all Flash players. Do it today. What's wrong with Flash players? Flash is very insecure. Uh, and you're finding that fewer and fewer sites are using Flash, so it's become less of an issue. If you're on an iPhone, you don't get Flash because Apple, Steve Jobs, God rest his soul, insisted over many, many objections many years ago that he would not allow Flash onto the iPhone and onto his computer. What is it about Flash that's so dangerous? It's it's loose code. They just, when it was created years and years ago, and Casting, you can correct me, when they created it years and years ago, it was like, wow, this is really cool. We love it. It's wonderful and that sort of thing. But the code is loose and it's just filled with holes and gaps. And it wasn't well constructed. And because of that... It wasn't constru- it wasn't created with security in mind. Correct. Mm. Not like HTML5. Right. Caston, right. if you had to choose um, a security software to have with, let's say, a Windows 10 machine or... Well, let's just say Windows 10 machine in general. What would you choose? Which oh, one? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't go there because there's not one. And if I make a recommendation oh, today, okay. next week, something comes better. Well, I, let me back up then. We, I think Let's do it from a different perspective. Okay. Are the commercially available big names good enough to Norton do the job? McAfee malware bytes things Gen- like that? generally speaking I love malware bytes okay uh, particularly the paid versions you get a lot more protection on paid uh, okay because they are actively looking for it. am I right that's the difference between- well they give you addi- additional features they're going to protect and do identity theft types of checking they're going to run real time scans you know these companies provide that base level of free software for a reason. It's to show you what they can do so that you'll ante up and buy the stuff that fully protects you. And Malware Bytes, how much is it a year? Does anybody remember what that is? Well, it was 25 but that was two years ago. Maybe it's, it's about that range yeah. now. Yeah, and that's a and it's year. worth it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely worth it. And they have a, a business version that has other capabilities so that businesses can... Uh, take advantage of the more uh, administrative pieces that their technologists have. And I believe they also have a Mac version, but I'm not sure if they have a a Linux version, but I do know they have a Mac version. Yes, they do. But, I mean, it just goes back to the thing that's been said for years and years. You get what you pay for. Mm. And, uh, like, if you're going to go with free Wi-Fi, you're going to have all the holes in it. However, if you're out in public and use your own private hotspot on your telephone, you can eliminate that issue, but you have to pay for it. Kasten, thanks so much for being here and for giving us this information. Kasten's going to stick around with us in the studio and maybe back to join the conversation a little bit further on. Right now, we're going to take a quick break and then back with uh, talking about Internet of Things, all that coming up. Nowadays, just about everything is connected to the Internet, it seems. Uh, Refrigerators telling you whether you're out of milk or not. Uh, Well, there's all sorts of things going on. Our cars are talking. Everything wants to get on and have a conversation on the Internet. Well, that's sometimes called the Internet of Things. And um, a couple people in studio with us right now who are going to tackle this whole thing head on. And as a matter of fact, um, point to the fact that Michigan, in many ways, is a perfect place for us to be to talk about IOT, Internet of Things. 
I'm talking about somebody who's a regular visitor to our program here. That's Mike Brennan. Mike, welcome. Thanks, Foster. It's good to be in the studio for a change. <laughs> it is. It's good to have your smiling face here. Mike is the host of uh, the MI Tech News. Uh, that's uh, your great source for technology and entrepreneurial news. And uh, also M Squared TechCast, which is a broadcast that's heard on the Podcast Detroit Network. And every, if you can listen to it live as well on Mondays, <clears throat> excuse me, from 3 o'clock until 4, four o'clock. 3 to 4. And, and that's exactly live on. And one of the people that you will probably have heard on there every month is uh, somebody who's in our studio with us. We're delighted to have with him. That's Rick Beckers, who is uh, the president of Cloud Tech One. Rick, good to have you here. It's good to be here, Foster. Thank you so much for joining us in studio. Um, let's First of all, Rick, let's talk about and, and Mike, feel free to chime in on this as well. What is the Internet of Things? I kind of, you know, give a broad ex- expression of that, but is everything really connected, Rick? Well, it is, and it can be. Um, that's probably the point. That <laughs> so many things are coming online now that can be consumer-based, commercial-based, uh, government-based. They can be wired, wireless, machine-to-machine. You know, there's just autonomous vehicles, for instance, mm. and it's uh, invading and becoming pervasive in, in every industry. And um, the reason why we're tackling it, if you will, is, is because we think that uh, Detroit and Michigan in general has uh, a step up in terms of leadership because of the autonomous vehicle. Mm. Um, we think that we have tremendous talent in this area. And mm-hmm. so what we want to do is talk about it, uh, bring it out into the open and get all the players working together to uh, educate each other and and improve the economy in Michigan using the Internet of Things as a jumping-off point, if you will. Now, you plan on, on, on pulling together a conference in October, probably a first-ever conference here in this area, if I'm not wrong. Uh, and uh, we're gonna, it's going to be called IoT Connect, right? IoT Tech Connect. Tech Connect, pardon me. Tech Connect. And uh, if you go to our website, internetadvisor.net, uh, there's a little image in there of IoT storm warning. Uh, hail the new biz at lightning speed. And uh, if you click on that, it'll take you to a website that'll tell you more about the conference coming up. Mike, when's that going to be? Uh, I believe that's uh, October 11th and 12th. Uh, I don't want to add, Rick just came back literally last night from a big IoT conference in California. He was out there all week uh, getting some ideas for what we can do oh. for our conference this October. So tell me about what you experienced out there, Rick. Well, I went out there because I'm a member of a media organization, a national media organization, and uh, the event was a four-day event in San Jose. There, there must have been 250 vendors, 11,000 attendees. Ooh. There was pretty much every flavor of IoT out there that you can imagine, um, except for they didn't have a real big play on the autonomous vehicles, oh. which I was kind of surprised. But uh, there were vendors of all kinds, uh, from the microchip folks to the software folks and uh, security folks, of course. Yeah, There were uh, sessions, and I did some speaking out there and some moderating that were uh, based on some of the startups that are out there that are bringing out new and I unique uh, offerings. Uh, one that particularly interested me that I, that I moderated was uh, a high school, Dublin High School, I believe it was. The teacher actually had incorporated the Internet of Things into her daily teachings. And each one of these kids had created an IoT project with an actual entrepreneurial path that uh, spoke to them actually developing how they were going to sell this to 
uh, the general like public. What, what kind of things did they develop? Just to give our audience some a sense of what IoT is, and practically speaking, where they would find it. Sure. I mean, one of them was uh, a dual-layered uh, fish environment with hydroponics on the top, and the IoT device actually monitored the temperatures and the pH <laughs> of the water and all these unique things. Uh, another one had to do with uh, monitoring the frost on the windshield of a vehicle, and uh, <laughs> it, you know, it was basic, but it gave you notifications as to whether or not that vehicle was ready for you to drive and, and get in it, and uh, it oh, could do really. other things. But these are coming from high school kids. Yeah, again, yeah, it's know, nothing so. worse than stepping into a car and the windows aren't defrosted. I mean, I agree with that. That's <laughs> a great idea. They were, they were very unique, and... Uh, and yeah. I was very impressed. So that's something we're going to incorporate. Yeah, we're going to borrow liberally show. from that and really put a big, strong focus on autonomous vehicles, on mobile technology, uh, all the things uh, that we're really strong on here in the state. Uh, like to get some travel and tourism stuff going, agribusiness. I mean, all the things that drive Michigan, they're all getting plugged into the IoT and will be plugged in if they're not already. And a lot of people just don't understand, okay, so what do I do? What does this mean? What have I got to buy? And we're hoping that with this trade show that we're going to have in October, that'll answer a lot of those questions. Oh, that is really cool. I'm just curious, Cal and Ned, can you think of a way or a place in your daily routine that the Internet of Things has inserted itself? I'm just curious. Uh, vending machines. Oh, really? You go to vending machines and uh, uh, they'll have, well, uh, they have Visa and they, say they accept Visa and debit now, so they're actually connected. Oh, that's right. That's true. Isn't that the way you're doing it? Yeah. There are, there are so many different ways yeah, that, that you it, don't even realize. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's right probably it, isn't it, Rick? Yeah. yeah. You yeah. see it so much now that it gets to a point that you can't even just say one thing in particular. It seems like darn near everything is. They can just get my toilet paper roll to do that thing. <laughs> if I can only let get me my know wife to put it on the time, way, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a business idea to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, And I say that jokingly, but then I have a question for our guest, and that is, where is the point where we stop interneting things. Oh. Well, I don't the, think the point at which if you're asking me, the point at which you stop has everything to do with security. Okay. All right. Commerce is commerce, capitalism is capitalism, convenience is convenience, and mm -hmm. that's what drives all of these things um to create an economy, obviously. Yeah. But you can't do that and give up on the security yeah. because we've already heard today mm -hmm. uh, that security, you know, without it anyway. Well, you know, if you want to think about life. it, that was an excellent question. At what point do you stop? Well, think of it as uh, electricity. Why would I want an electric, you know, uh, washing machine? I can turn this crank just fine and, and <laughs> wring out my clothes. At what point, you know, why do you have to electrify everything? Well, I mean, it's the same thing. So, it what, go ahead. so I guess it depends on uh, the need, the commerce... Uh, the value, or uh, or just the trust in that particular device to go, whether or not it need to be internet enabled. Or, or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what yeah. I think we're forgetting here is the driving force behind this are the millennials, who are the most connected generation ever, that's and true. they want to connect everything to the internet for one reason or another because that's their environment they live in. Yeah, the, so, the only the only the only problem with the millennials is unfortunately they want all the connectivity but they don't really understand the ramifications and the values and security the, the dangers yeah. of that connectivity yeah. what yeah. they're trading off for they're, they're just saying just connect me i kind of hope that they get what Kasdan was talking about there's a different mindset 
that begins to enter into the millennials, if you will, um, or maybe it'll come from their their older I will, generation. I will bet you dollars to donuts. Well, the thing that's going to make millennials think more about it is going to be some sort of catastrophic problem. It, uh, in my mind, I think that you're going to find that a lot of the consumerism that comes out of IoT is actually going to have the security built in. It's got to, right? yeah. Because the the exposure of the organization that is selling you whatever the subscribed service is is mm-hmm. way too high for them not to bake that stuff in. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. almost everything that you see that's coming out consumer-based and, and a lot of commercial-based stuff is subscription-based. You know, it's pay-as-you-go. Uh, I want it for a period of time, and then I don't want it after that. And you're not going to go through all of those steps to, as a consumer in a way, personally secure the thing. You, you want to know that the entity that's delivering it to you has done so. Yeah, you, and an you, extreme you, example of this going fluey was that IoT botnet attack, what, a couple of months ago, where they were seizing control of the thermostats of the smart homes and oh, all these other devices, yeah. and they were using those for a, for a DDoS attack which they then used to bring down a lot of sites on the East Coast that were major distribution points for a lot of different services and things. So you can sneak in those little doors yeah, if they're not secure. The, ad, the password is admin123 or something, oh, something crazy. Oh, and, and, and people, it's a default, and people yeah. don't reset it, and the bad guys know this, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Hey. I was going to say, you know, in the early days of setting up a wireless router, it was like that. I was going to say, that was exactly what came to my mind. Yeah, yeah. And, and then now, when you power them up, they actually step you through the secured process. Yep. Usually. Yep. All, all of the firewalls are next-genning. They're using unified threat management. Even the consumer-based stuff that's coming out is going to have a higher level of security built into it. You know, for the purpose of they know that there's going to be so many other devices put on that home network. And so in the past, it wasn't really anything that anybody would focus on except for a denial of of service attack mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was a distributed denial of service attack and it was created by the fact that they could get to those devices dumb devices and then utilize them to send back yep. messaging to the right, larger website right, right. and then knock it down so the problem was with the wasn't with the device itself but using it as Correct. a tool for that rick beckers is by the way the person you're just listening to he is the president of Cloud Tech One, and was with us in studio as well as Mike Brennan, who is the editor of MI Tech News. And together, they are uh, organizing a conference, uh, first one ever, in this uh, area of Detroit, or in this area of Michigan, I should say. And October 10th and 11th, it's going to be called the IoT Con- Tech Connect Conference. And that's, again, going to be taking place in early October. You'll be hearing more about it, but we thought we'd have Mint today to talk about that. Uh, Mike, maybe just, just quickly, where is this going to be taking place, and how can people... Who might be interested, let's say, listening now, getting their product involved? Uh, Marriott and Troy, right? That's correct. Uh, Rick's uh, team is helping to set this up. It's actually the 11th and the 12th. The setup oh, is on the night of the 10th. And then there's going to be a cocktail gala on the 11th. And what we're doing is reaching out to, I'm going to be reaching out to all the groups I work with and say, well, this is our IoT event. If you have members, if you have interest in IoT, mm. we want to hear from you. We want you to join us, participate. Uh, make it uh, a Michigan-centric focus, and then yep. we're going to be doing, of course, this is my thing, we're going to be shooting a lot of video, so uh, we might do live streaming, but certainly after the fact on demand, this stuff Excellent. will be available. If you can't attend, then we'll get you covered on uh, the video. Excellent. And uh, again, that is going to be taking, if you go to internetadvisor.net, our homepage, <coughs> our homepage, you can go to um, 
You can click on the IoT Storm Warning as one of the ways of getting there. And there's also another connection down in what uh, you'll see it in bold type. It says IoT Tech Connect. You can click on that and go back to that website and find out more information about that. We're going to take a quick break right now. When Mike, when we come back, we'll give some of the headlines you've got with MI Tech News and then maybe wrap things up talking a little bit more with you, Rick Beckers, about what uh, Cloud Tech One is yeah, it and is. Uh, how you tie all this together with your company as well. That's coming up here on the Internet Advisor. Don't forget, hour number two, you ask the questions, we got some answers for you. Well, it's that time of the program, and fortunately, we have in studio with us a man who is the editor of um, MI Tech News. That's Mr. Mike Brennan. Mike, it's good to have you back with us here. Thanks, Foster. I don't get in the studio very often. No. I think the last time was I was in with Matt, and gosh, that was a long time ago. It might that have been was, the holidays yeah. or something. Yeah, we were promoting uh, M Squared TechCast, which takes place on Monday nights on the Podcast Detroit Network. But what we try to do, folks, is give you a little flavor of some of the headlines that Mike puts together every week with MI Tech News. It's absolutely free. You simply go to MITechnews.com, put in your email address, and you are in line to get some of the uh, headlines like, uh, let's see, Ford is going to, oh, this is not a nice one to talk about. But anyway, Ford is going to be cutting 1,400 salaried jobs in North America. Yeah, and a lot of them are Mm. going to be right here in this area because that's where Ford is based, right? Right. This comes from Paul Eisenstein. Uh, He's our Mr. Man uh, when it comes to autos. And uh, part of the partnership is that we do is that we have a lot of different sources for our news. Mm -hmm. So we try to, uh, the people that the experts in those particular areas, we try to share their news so we get a really diverse base. So anyway, getting back to Paul, uh, he, he posted this story a day or two ago, and it's part of Ford's cost-cutting campaign. I mean, auto sales are beginning to constrict now. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, the, the the popular kind of stock cars are down 20% or so. Wow. It's the really expensive ones and the really fancy ones and fast ones that are still selling, but no the kidding. more middle-of-the-road kind yeah. of stuff is slowing down a wee bit. Well, so, trucks were big, too, weren't they? Uh, yeah, and uh, trucks are slowing down a little bit. So Ford's just being proactive, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of those salary jobs are going to be here in this area. Mm. I would imagine a lot of those salary jobs they're going to try and do as much attrition as possible retirement early buyouts so hopefully the impact won't be as great economically to the region darn my brother retired three months too early he was waiting for five years for a buyout uh, well you know never came around uh, it was interesting the last uh, time this kind of thing happened it was uh, 2008 I think when uh, when I lost my work with the then Daimler Chrysler, yeah, I heard. I was of working them. at Daimler Chrysler Studios, and uh, they um, at that point had had just come off of hitting an all time peak in sales. Yeah. But the point is, you can only sell so many trucks. Yeah. And well, unless you market. create new markets for it, you're going to eventually run out. Everyone's going to have a new truck. There, there's a general. The people are a little concerned about the economy right now, and yeah. I think it's because of the political environment in D.C. They don't know what's going to happen. Right. So I'm already seeing it too in a lot of different ways people are just kind of sitting on their cash right now kind of waiting to see how this is all going to shake mm. out they're also saying that this is possibly going to have a cascading effect with the auto industry that if ford does this move that both chrysler and gm will yeah. probably do something similar i think i had heard that fca or no, chrysler was doing the same thing before and <laughs> i think there's been some rumors of that before an unnamed large company with two letters i think is looking at that same thing at least <laughs> a press reports are telling me this <laughs> well, you know, i won't lot. ask you guys to confirm this <laughs> no no, I mean, there's a lot of people that have been waiting a long time for with the automotive companies for something like this, if they give a buyout. Yes. 
Yeah. I can yeah. definitely confirm that I can't confirm it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to something. That I, this is interesting because it affects uh, conversations we certainly have had here on our Internet Advisor Show. That is the FCC is approving a plan to roll back the net neutrality rules. Somewhat. Uh, and a lot of things still have to happen, but they voted Thursday on a plan that would uh, rescind some of the Obama-era rules. And uh, there's a lot of people that are very concerned about this. And just because they say this is going to happen doesn't mean there's going to be a pitch battle. Because uh, a lot of people think the Internet should be, you know, everything should flow at the same price, same speeds. And and the the big providers want to change that. They if yeah. you if you have something like Netflix, they want to charge the Netflix more for that because mm-hmm. uh, it's eaten up so much bandwidth. And I've heard right. stories that twenty five percent of the traffic at night is Netflix. I wow. don't know if that's true or not. In my household, it certainly would be true. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it, it's 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 very preliminary. But uh, the new FCC chairman is it came out of Verizon, so that'll give you a clue as to where this is headed. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a. Uh, um, a hint of what's going to be going on. Mike, I see this is interesting that you folks, uh, for, for MI Tech News subscribers, so listen up on this, especially if you're a, a wine lover, you've got some discounted tickets for a wine fest that's coming up not too far from here. Tomorrow, actually, yeah, in Port Huron, I can do it, Port Huron at the Seaway Terminal. Uh, we are a, a media sponsor for something called the Thumbs Up Wine Trail, and they have a little event called Get Naughty tomorrow, and, uh, <laughs> and you're going to be able to sample 12 different wines, have food. Uh, they're expecting 1,200 or more people there. Wow. And normally the tickets are 45 bucks, but if you go to my website, click on the link, hey, we're going to save you $10, you can get in for 35 very or in nice. Rick's case, I comped him on two. So this is going to be in Port. Where is it going to be in Port Huron? At the Seaway Terminal. So it's a bit of a drive from here, but what, 45 minutes or so, Rick? It's 45 minutes of fun driving. You'd see some beautiful flat land, and then Port, <laughs> and Port Huron rises up out of the ashes, and for 35 bucks, and you can be naughty. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in for that glasses, idea. 12 glasses, not, not full glasses, but you know, you, when you go to a winery and they give you three or four sip kind of thing. I can't but bring t- my 64-ounce big gold. <laughs> no, no. So, But you get 12 of those, so that drive home is going to be a real pleasure. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, first of all, you you, you you have your wine, you go and have a nice dinner over at the Edison Hotel, and then after you settle down and you're sober, then you drive back home. Very good. Or Thank even you get a hotel much. room for the night, which I think the state police would recommend. Yeah. <laughs> well, all these are some of the headlines that you'll find at uh, MI Tech News, and you can simply go to MITechnews.com. And Mike, you have two publications a week. Yep. On Wednesdays? Audio you- video on Wednesdays. Uh, some people just want that. And then Friday is by weekend read uh, we have all the text based stories and mm-hmm. then some of the video if I think it's really good I'll throw it in there again slightly different audience for both mm-hmm. um, we're really cranking up the video now we're moving into that in a big way uh, I think I mentioned this to before yeah. most people most of the reports I've seen indicate social media 80% of it in starting in 2018 will be video I so it. we got to yeah. get ahead of that wave or we'll get inundated by it so we're moving into it as fast as we can well I noticed I go to CNET I don't know if you guys go to CNET for, for your t- Tech news very often, outside of MI Tech News, of course. Uh, but I'm noticing that every time I go to a page, yep. a, video. A, a video plays almost oh, yeah. automatically. And they're, whether, they're whether well you done. like it or not. Same thing with the news and the free press. If you go to any of those pages, boom, they're gonna within 15 seconds, it's auto-playing on you. Yep. Uh, Rick Beckers, as I said before, is with us in studio here. Rick and... Uh, um, Mike have been in studio talking about the conference that they're uh, they've created called IOTech 
Connect. But Rick, I wanted you to talk a little bit about Cloud Connect, a Cloud Tech One, your company. Right. What is it? What do you do? Well, we're a managed service provider. Um, what we do is small and medium-sized businesses will outsource their IT to us. And we do that on a all-you-can-eat flat rate um, basis. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's a flat budgetable rate. You can call us for whatever, whenever. Uh, we utilize an outsource CIO type of arrangement. So mm-hmm. they can call on me with my 35 years experience. I help mm-hmm. them in their business designing and architecting uh, technology. And then my team proactively monitors all of their equipment 24-7, their antivirus, oh, their wow. firewalls, uh, all of their desktops, laptops, tablets, servers, everything about them. So everybody from the mom and pop shop up to, I don't know, your medium-sized business with uh, 100 or so employees, that type of thing? Yeah, we'll take it all the way up to 250 to do the direct outsource. And then we have a model for 250 to 500 where we actually take our MSP tools and turn them inside to that organization Mm -hmm. and teach their internal IT staff how to run their shop as an MSP. And then here's a different twist on security. Tell them a little bit about that. None of the WannaCry affected any of your customers, right? Yeah, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of customers, and, and WannaCry got nobody. And it's, it is because we use the same methodologies that Kelston mentioned earlier and that our clients all have uh, unified threat management and next-generation firewalls. They've got layered security where endpoint management is very important. And we actually have... Uh, security as a service that sits on their network and has a benchmark of how their network should operate on Mm. any given day. And then when it sees an anomaly in the network, it will actually shut down sources uh, Mm -hmm. to make sure that we get to it Wow. That much faster. Rick Beckers, he is the president of uh, Cloud Tech One. Thank you very much for being with us, by the way. My pleasure. And Mike, it's always as good as always to be have you with us. You're going to be gone this next weekend. Yes, going fishing in FLA. So, I love uh, it. Going fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Got to take a break now and then, right? All right. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back on the other side, our phone lines are open for your questions. And I do encourage you to get in as early as you can and get your questions to us so we can get to them. 800 800- 859-0957 is the phone number. Our number two of the Internet Advisor coming up. You're listening to a podcast of the Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, theinternetadvisor.net. You'll discover past podcasts, our free toolkit with software to clean up your computer and keep it running strong, and many other resources. You'll also find links to MITechnews.com, our co-sponsored weekly tech and entrepreneur newsletter, edited by Mike Brennan. If you have a question for our hosts, just click the contact button on the homepage and send us an email with the details. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook and Twitter and at Detroit's newest podcast network, podcastdetroit.com. Now let's get back to the second hour of the Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor, hour number two, and we have got a very special group of people in here. Not only Ed Rudell and Cal Carson, but Karsten Thomas is going to stay with us, our security expert, and Rick Beckers, who is the president of uh, CloudTech One. They're all going to hang around as well. What are they here for? To answer your question at 800-859-0957. No excuses. Give us a call. We'd love to help you solve your problem. Well, there are the numbers, and uh, we are officially off and running, and uh, we're loaded for bear today. We have lots of folks in studio to help answer your questions, but 
it won't do us any good unless you call. And uh, the typical pattern we're getting since we've shifted to a later time of the evening is that people are, for some reason, waiting to closer to the end of the program to ask her questions. So you know what that means. Call early, call often. That's Pretend you're right. in Chicago and you're going to vote. Call early, <laughs> call often. And uh, we have with us, you heard this voice, Cal Carson. Oh, Apple Man. Well, you know, here. speaking of Apple, if I could steal a minute to do a shameless Please. plug, next set, next Sunday on the 28th of May, we'll have our our monthly Mac group meeting. Oh, great. Yeah. And, yeah, by coincidence, guess what we're going to be talking about? Our main yes. subject will be passwords, oh. how to manage them effectively. Very and good. And Dave McGuire will be doing a presentation on how to manage and how to create good, strong passwords for you to be able to use. So... This is a meeting that is open to anyone. You don't have to be a Mac user. You can be Windows. You can be Linux. You can be anything you want. But if you use passwords, this is a meeting that you definitely want to come to. And you can find out all the information at macgroup.org, or you can link to it off internetadvisor.net. Mm-hmm. And you can get location and times. We generally yep. start at 2 o'clock. That's when we have our Genius Table open. And at 3 o'clock, we start with our Q&A and our meme, uh, and our main meeting very good i'm gonna uh, by the way i will be posting a link to that uh, after the show today make sure that people get that next saturday by the way we're going to be doing a special program focusing on apple that's true and uh cal's going to take the uh, the platform there and uh We'll have the uh, the baton in hand, and we should have a lot of fun with that. So if you're if you're a big Mac user, if you're a little Mac user, if you're a Mac user that hasn't started using a Mac but thinking about using a Mac, next weekend is definitely the time to call in or to tune in and check out our show between 5 and 7 p.m. So how many of the iOS updates have there been in the last two months? Hasn't there been like 10.01, Yeah, a whole bunch of them. We're, we're up at 10.3.2, if I'm not mistaken. So there's been probably... Probably in the last two or three months, probably about four updates. So usually bug fixes? But usually they're bug, bug and security fixes. Some of them are enhancements to the operating system. Most of them are underneath the hood and the background mm-hmm. of the system. But, yeah, there's been about four. So it changed the film and oil. Right? Yeah, well, one of, one of the ones I saw recently came out was with, the, and I'm, I'm using it now, the new uh, MacBook Pro with the touch bar on it. Yes. And it was about uh, linking um, an application with a touch bar so you could use it as well. Yeah. Because they're not all there, um, for instance. Well, I mean, I, I thought that was the main purpose of the touch bar so that the applications could do yes. whatever they wanted with the touch bar. And what's happening is the developers haven't all linked them in. Embraced it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and what they're doing is they're slowly unfolding that. Not to mention there are standards that they have to follow for yes. the touch bar. They're not just letting you do anything with... Well, well it's a whole new interface. They're it's, trying to say not to have everybody just do anything with the touch bar. You know, some people want to use it as a secondary screen. Right. Well, I mean, it's a whole new interface, and yeah. and and coming up with a graphical user interface that's user friendly is gonna. There's going to be some bugs in it, and this is a whole new yeah. area. Yep. I, you want to find it? It's kind of like a, a marriage between the. Um, uh, well, Nintendo did it successfully f- seven years ago with their Nintendo DS dual screen. So, you know, mm-hmm. Apple sort of copied off of them. <laughs> well, I find it is kind of like a... steal from the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And, and, and prove it. It's, it's kind of in between having a touchscreen and just being forced to use your mouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you really can reach up and, and, and interact with, you know, for instance, word processors. You can, you know, bold things and, you know, do things like that. Yeah. 
So that's good. So I'm, I'm glad Apple's uh, releasing all those iOS updates. I mean, that's good. And and I received my uh, Android update for my, was it Nougat or Nugget, however you want to say it. You know, you say Nougat, I say Nugget. Well, I like Nougat better because it's more chewy. But uh, yeah, those came out in the past, what, month or so as well. And uh, a lot of them, of the stuff that was the update with that is more impactive on the Galaxy 7 and above. Is that correct? Right. Now, um, speaking of that, we had a listener question call in and says, antivirus for an iPhone and Android, Kasten, what's your opinion on that? Is that, I know, I keep on getting... Absolutely. Really? Because I keep on getting these pop-ups from these apps that I download and says, you need a a McAfee, and I'm like, (laughs) or Norton, and I'm like, I don't want to download it from an app. Well, don't click on those. Uh, Never click on on anything like that. Unsolicited, good. Because you never know where it's coming from. But uh, from the standpoint of mobile security, hackers go where the money is. So you got Apple Wallet, you got Samsung's uh, Samsung Pay or whatever it's called. Yeah, you've got all that, but in addition... There's no way for a small little phone to protect itself with the sophisticated software that you can load onto a PC. But that said, Mm -hmm. there's a great program called Lookout. And just like the the regular uh, PC and Macintosh free antivirus, Lookout has a huge price tag. It's a huge zero. It's it's zero? (laughs) It's not like 99 cent? Oh, really? Free, 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 free. And it's free. available in the... It's in the uh, Apple Google, Store and the, play, okay. and the Google Store. Very interesting. And it does amazing things. Now, you can upgrade it and get extra features, but the baseline, you can see where the last place your phone... It's kind of like it has other features like Find My Phone. Yeah. Mm. But if your phone battery dies, it can still find it. Oh, wow. Okay. And other features like that that are just phenomenal. Look out. Who, who produces no. it? A company called Lookout. <laughs> now, okay, so are there viruses? I mean, what what do we have to worry about our mobile devices? Is it our stolen information through a, a Bluetooth walk-by? Is it, I mean, our contacts being stolen? What What is it? I think it's, you know, th- what really scares me about phones is that uh, when this is compromised, it's not just data. It can be conversations that you're having with a loved one or an employee. Oh, so mm. text messages. Mm. Yeah, that's Or stuff. it could be an attorney who's in private counsel with a client or negotiating yeah. a huge deal. Mm. And one of their adversaries has captured their microphone and can listen in on wow. everything that's happening. So does This look- is really, really scary when it comes so to mobile security. Does Lookout have the ability for me to manage my device mobily? Yes. Perfect. Okay. We're going to be back in just a minute. Jim from Ohio, thank you for hanging on there. We'll be with you in a second. Danielle Mason is our engineer. She's doing a great job with the program, and she's uh, doing double duty. So if you're uh, waiting a bit to get into the phone, hang in there. Keep calling 800-859-0957, and we will get you on the air. Jim, back with you first, coming up in just a moment. By the way, thank you very much for your patience when you call in, 800-859-0957. Daniel Mason, who's our uh, engineer here, is also answering phones today. My granddaughter, unfortunately, is sick and can't be here to answer them. So we're going to jump right into the calls now and say hello to Jim from Ohio. And Jim, how may we help you here on the Internet Advisor? Okay. Uh, I ordered, I, What originally happened is I upgraded from uh, Windows 7. It was a 32-bit, and it upgraded to Windows 10 with 32-bit. Okay. I my video card failed, and all right, but I, of course I also had my motherboard and my RAM and everything else replaced. 
on this um, all-up-to-date video card with the last item. The card I bought does not have a 32-bit software on there. So I downloaded the uh, ISO file for a 64-bit Windows uh, 10 upgrade mm -hmm. on there, and I followed the steps to install it. And when I click the uh, folder to do the setup, it comes up with the message that says, cannot be installed on this machine. So I'm not at the computer right now either. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Well, usually you cannot upgrade from a 32-bit operating system to, to a, a 64, 64 without purchasing it. And uh, the well, basically the license. Well, you you, all, you said I you have actually, the license. but you also replaced your motherboard, right? Yeah, but that's I've, I'm on the Windows 10 uh, for over a year now. Yeah, but you you had Windows 10, but then you replaced your motherboard. No. No, I had Windows 7, I re and I had uh, upgraded to Windows 10. And since I've done that, I've I've got an active copy of the oh. Windows 10. Okay, okay. Um, you know, I'm not sure. So, I, Jim, I'm going to ask you a question. Why in the world did you piecemeal it together? It sounds like you essentially took all the components of a computer and did them, you know, one by one, rather than just simply going out and buying a new machine. Well, I did them uh, as as I needed. Right as they failed. Ah, I see. <laughs> so, so Rick, do I, you I have any? A, well, I was going to ask. Games. Hang on, Jim. We have somebody. Uh, Rick Beckers is in studio here. We wanted to ask you a question about this. Yeah, I was just going to ask yeah. you: Was the Windows Seven was that thirty-two bit? Yes, it was. Yeah, that's where your catch is. You had it right in the beginning. I right? did. So usually yeah. you can uh, upgrade from a thirty-two bit operating to operating system to a sixty-four, but if you I'm assuming what you have is a new was is a motherboard, but what you may have to do is get a whole new hard drive that's never seen Windows in there. But well, you could you could back it up, wipe it, reload the 64-bit. Yeah, that would work. Do you think that would work? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, can I do that off the ISO file? Well, he, when I talked to the uh, was that Windows chat, they told me I could do this. Well, you probably could, but you might have to use the media creation tool. So right. that's how I got the uh, the ISO file. Okay. Are you trying to execute the ISO file right from your hard drive, or did you actually produce a, a, some media? I was doing it right off the hard drive. Yeah. Well, that, that's what we're saying. So right. Microsoft creates a tool called the, the Media Creation Tool. You download that. You point it to the ISO file that you've already downloaded, and it'll create it, um, an installation media on a USB drive for you. And that, okay. And then allows you to boot your computer to the USB drive and install the operating system, the 64-bit version of the operating system for you. Because you, you cannot execute it from a 32-bit operating system and attempt to install a 64-bit operating system. You have to use external media like a flash drive. But he's going to he's gonna have to remember to back up his data first before he does that. Absolutely. Correct? Back up all yeah, the data. Yeah, I did all that. Okay, okay good. Yeah. There's really nothing on there that I don't have that I can't replace other than uh, I have, but I have pictures on a different drive. I don't have okay. it on my... I okay. think the key no, is now that you're just trying to execute it from the hard drive. If you took any normal um, DVD burner and just burned a DVD of that ISO and then started the uh, ISO up off of the DVD drive versus the physical 32-bit hard drive, you'd be fine. Okay. Okay, yep. and, right. and I think the key no, is. I was going to try that, and I thought no, because they. It, it seemed like they didn't. I, they didn't want me to do it on another computer, because that's the one I had the license for, and that's why it went there. So that's why I chose to let it try from there. 
Yeah, but the fact that it's it's you're interacting with the 32-bit operating system and trying to overlay a 64-bit on an operating system that's already active. Okay. Okay. Well, so the, the key gem, the key gem then, then is to put it on another another piece of media, on yeah. on a thumb okay. drive or on a. Uh, as Rick Bickers was saying, you can put it onto a, a DVD. Okay, Jim. Okay. Thanks. Thank you very much for your call. Appreciate it. It was a good call. By the way, Rick Beckers is in studio with us, president of CloudTech One. Also, Carsten Thomas is with us. I I keep on renaming him Carson. I have a grandson named Carson, I think, maybe part of the hitch in this. Call Kasten. me anything you want except late for dinner. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's from Andrew Works. And we have Kel Carson and uh, also Ed Rudell in studio. Let's go to Dean, another Ohio resident who has a question for us here on the Internet Advisor. Hi, Dean. What can we do for you here? I beg your pardon. Hello, are you there? He said it was yes. Steve. Oh, so, I'm sorry. I, we got a little mixed up here. So your name is Steve? Yes, sir. I beg your pardon then. So Steve, tell me, what may we do for you? I am getting ready to move. I am going to be a lucky one to be able to work from home. Now I'm moving from Ohio to Arizona. Mm-hmm. I need to know, I use probably five to six applications all the time, every day. Mm-hmm. all the time. What download speed and what upload speed do I need to run that kind of stuff if I'm using a computer in Arizona but hitting a uh, server in Ohio? The best answer for that would be this. Number one, you use four or five applications. Those are actually running native to your computer. So that's not going to change the scenario. What's going to change the scenario is the amount of data that you're moving from your computer to the server and back again. And I always say the best way to find out what's the best speed to get in that particular scenario is to contact your ID, IP dep- IT department at your company and say, what, what, what do I need for speed to get back and forth? And then... Whatever they give you for a number, add about 10% on top of that. Okay. Because they, they said minimum 15 uh, download and 7 up. So, well, which is reasonable. Yeah, that's a basic speed pretty much anywhere with a cable right. provider. But, but I'm very used to jumping around from system to system. And what would be if... I guess if I really want to have something, we are, we're wired, hardwired, right across the street to our uh, uh, ISP, what do they call that? Your, your data center or whatever? Our data center, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm used to fast speed. Yeah. Okay, but have you ever done VPN from home, as an example? That's the question that I would ask. So right now, I mean... Do you have the capability to remotely execute your job from your current home location? The thing is, I have uh, DSL, so it's I have. Oh, so oh, cheap, 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 cheap. Yeah. So the first thing you're going to do is when you do get out to your Arizona location, you're not going to get DSL. If that's what they're offering, that's not going to work for you. But as Rick said. Uh, you're better off going with uh, a cable provider. And, for example, uh, and, and not pushing anybody in particular, but if it's like Comcast, ask for their business class Internet and see what sort yeah. of speeds they're yeah. offering you and then figure out from that from that point and then ask them also what is the, the fastest you can get on a standard residential and then uh, weigh the two costs and see how they come out. Now, if your company's paying for it, 
then go for the business class. Mm. Aston? Hey, Steve, I have a real quick question. What kind of uh, files are you working with? What kind of work do you do? Uh, it's impact. Uh, um, uh, uh, let me ask the question another way. Do you use yeah, large engineering I'm drawings a, or x-rays I'm not or a video? Okay. So you're using mostly uh, uh, word processing yeah, documents and accessing normal size files, not large videos. You're not a graphics designer or anything like that? Accounting. Ah, Okay. Oh, accounting. Well, then that explains it. Get the cheapest line you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything other than TSL or their best DSL. Anything better than DSL will be just fine. Yeah, you for can you even get the consumer. Yeah, you're based. not going to have a problem at all with that. You, you, you know, Arizona, Ohio. It's not that that doesn't make that much difference on yeah, the internet. If you were going to be uh, in a different country. I'd say then you, now you have some real considerations to be concerned about. But if you're going to be local to the United States, you shouldn't have no problem hitting anything and at a decent speed from anywhere. All right, Dean, good luck to you as you make your move. Hey, one more question. You, I tell you what, you're going to have to go on hold, and we'll get it when we take a break, which is coming up in just a moment, okay? That's fine. All right, that's Dean from Ohio. We're back with him. Sharon in Lansing, we're going to be with you in just a moment. And the phone number here is 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. And thank you so much for starting with your questions early. It's allowing us to take some time to answer your questions. And we have room for more as well here. Thank you so much for joining us on the Internet Advisor. We're going to get something done for you, whether you're staying around your own home base or heading to Arizona. (laughs) Back in just a moment with our guest here on the Internet Advisor. Thank you very much for joining us here. Danielle Mason, thank you so much again for doing a great job. She is uh, engineering for us and also answering the phones. And that number is 800-859-0957. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, Steve from Ohio for just a quick uh, follow-up question. And then Sharon and Lansing, you're up next. And then you, yes, you, at 800-859-0957 are next. Rick Beckers is in studio with us, president of Cloud Tech One. And thank you very much, Rick, for sticking around and um, adding your experience to this. You know, Foster. Tell us a little, or let's have uh, Rick, uh, tell us a little bit about Cloud Tech One and, and what do they offer for services? Well, we're a managed service provider for small and medium businesses. We give them an all-you-can-eat, flat-rate, budgetable uh, service price to manage all of their IT. Okay, another shameless plug, but it's good. <laughs> it's a good one. All right. Let's go back out to uh, Steve. Uh, Steve, you had a follow-up question there in Ohio. Let me have, what is it? Hey, hey, I love your show. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, my second uh, question is, I go to the Internet, to VMSs, whatever, and I have to pull information, enter information. What is a good, and I have tons of passwords. I mean, hundreds. Yep. I, what is a good password security manager? Uh, yeah, manager. I use LastPass, but it has like quirks to it. Yeah, I use LastPass as well, and uh, it does have quirks, although it's getting better. I have to say it's getting better. I, I, I use 1Pass, and 1Pass has been working out pretty good for me. Uh, you can go check them out, and you can actually use them for, I think, 30 days for free and see if they work out for you. And they, they've got it in several different flavors. You can have it for individual, you can get it for families, and you can also get it for teens. Now, Rick, what do you recommend... We started off with Dashlane. 
Oh, um, Dashlane, yes. Yeah. yeah, but because we're an MSP, we have to look at things from a corporate perspective and being able to manage not only the individual users' passwords, but the whole corporation's passwords, oh, wow, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Those shared passwords. Wow. And we outgrew Dashlane and it actually ended up moving into uh, Passportal MSP. And what is it? Passportal. Say it again. Passportal. Yep, MSP. And I believe that's the website, PassportalMSP.com. Is that free or uh, pay? No, it, it's a paid site. If you want free, I'd send you back to the Dashlane product. But if you want, Dash but if you want Lane? good, Dashlane, L-A-N-E, yeah, Dashlane. L-A-N, okay. L-A-N. Yeah. I'm going to be really honest with you, caller. I'm going to tell you this, and this is my own personal opinion. You do what works best for you, but I find out. Uh, if you pay for it, you get a better product. Oh yeah, and most well, of, yeah. I want to now. Oh yeah, absolutely. You want to be very, very, very sure. As I say, I use LastPass. RoboForm is another one that's out there. Yeah. Dashlane, and what was the one you used? One pass. One one pass. Uh, so read the reviews and just be you know be convinced of what you're using yourself. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It's one password. One password. Okay. All right, Dean. Thank you so much for being with us and asking those questions. Good question, actually, because I know a lot of people are, you know, very interested in finding something. Yeah, but, you know, you don't want to give, I mean... You still got to be responsible with your passwords, yep. and and the setup of the, these utilities is very important because there's all sorts of authentication you have to do. Because if you forget your one password for the others, that yep. you have to have all the alternate stuff. Yep. You know, so you can recover your password. I like uh, I like uh, LastPass because I can use it with a fingerprint identification on my uh, iPhone. And on my MacBook, where I have the touch, I mean, the touch screen, pardon me, the uh, fingerprint identification. And uh, the other thing is that um, finally, and it wasn't doing this all the time, when I would go on and be asked from one of these myriad websites to put in a new password and username, LastPass, uh, pardon me, um, yes, LastPass is now finally recognizing it, the app recognizes it and puts it into my vault. So I have it at the end as well. Let's go to uh, Sharon in Lansing. Sharon, thank you so much for your patience. How can we help you? Oh, I have a question about daisy chaining. I have two exterior lacy hard drives, and I can connect them to each other by using either FireWire 800 or USB 3. But my question is, does it make a difference how I connect to the computer then? I mean, if I use the FireWire, do I have to then connect to the computer using FireWire, or could I use the USB 3? Traditionally, you should use the same protocol all the way through the entire chain. So if you hook it up uh, with uh, using FireWire, you should use FireWire port on the computer. Otherwise, uh, if you use, uh, use USB and then just hook them up that way. Yeah, because usually those external hard drives, it's uh, it's one or the other, not usually both, because they're not... You know, it's usually because then they, you don't want them doing a, like a translation, if you will, to a Well, they don't protocol. even have the power to do the translation. They can only it's, run one protocol yeah, at a time. At a time. So usually it's one or the other. So that would be considered two protocols then, to Cor- each other and then to the um, computer. Well, if you, if, for example, if you took the two drives and hooked them up using FireWire and then from the second drive hooked it up to the computer as USB 3, uh, it wouldn't work properly. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. <laughs> I could not get an answer. Is to that. FireWire? It was always how to hook to each other. Are you on a? I'm just curious. Are you on a Mac, Sharon? Uh, yes. 
Yeah, is, are Max used? They don't use FireWire anymore. She could have one. With, she, I know it. She could have the older one. She could no, have the older know. one with FireWire. I have the newer one. Well, if you have yeah. the newer ones, that would be Thunderbolt. Yep. Right. In that particular case, and yeah, and and you would want to go with the yep. Thunderbolt as opposed to the USB three. But 3-0. I don't have Thunderbolt on the back of either one of my uh, hard drives. What type of hard drives are they? Uh, Lacey, and they have FireWire 800 and uh, USB 3 on them. Then you mm-hmm. would want to use the USB yeah, 3, yeah, yeah. and in that particular case, you can't daisy chain the USB 3, but what you could do is uh, connect both USB 3s to the Mac oh, directly. I can't daisy chain two three uh, USB 3s to each other? That is correct. They don't have that option. Well, why not? There's a plug on both of them. Well, yeah, it's not a daisy chain, but they're supposed to both be plugged into a hub, if you will. So you get yeah, a they thunder- don't plug. There's no pass through on it, right? Correct. Oh. With Thunderbolt, there is a pass. I believe there's a pass through, isn't there? But Thunderbolt is designed to be daisy chain, and we'll yes. do that sort of thing. But you, uh, you're telling me on USB C. Excuse me, USB C as well, right? Yeah, you're telling me on your Lacy drives, you have two USB three. Ports on no, each one. drive. No, I have one. two FireWires and one USB 3. Correct. Okay, so the USB 3, you'd have to go from the drive directly to the computer and both or to a hub. both drives or to a hub. Yeah. See, that's what I didn't want to do, use all my USB ports. Then get yourself a USB hub. I'm uh, looking at them right now. That's why I'm yeah. trying Get a USB it. 3 hub, yep. you put, it, put it to one port on your computer, and then you right. connect your drives to that. Right. Okay, that's... I was looking at that um, OWC one that's coming out next month with three uh, Thunderbolt 3 on it. Yeah, but remember, that's not going to do you any good if you don't have uh, Thunderbolt in your computer. Well, I do. I have the latest Mac. Okay, in that case, then yes, you're. Well, the latest shape. Mac will be USB C three. Uh, USB C. No, no, she, no, oh, no. Okay. She's two. using the desktop. She's okay, not using okay, the laptop. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I have the desktop. Yeah. Because I'm, matter of fact, I'm looking at my uh, MacBook Pro that I have right now, brand new one, which has the, the only connections I have on there are the USB Cs. Yeah. And there is a little hub that um, you can buy that will convert yeah, that. That will convert that to HDMI, and there's a pass through for the power. Yep. And for USB three. Right. On it as well. Okay? Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Sharon. Thank you very much for your call. And by the way, folks, uh, you can get in here now. We have some lines open at 800-859-0957, as you can heard. We can answer questions about Macs and about PCs, and we'd love to talk with you. 800-859-0957. And we are standing by waiting for your call. Yes, Ed. So we just got another uh, email in, actually live on the show. So, Cal, this is probably for you. So it is Linda, and she basically says, please recommend an easy DVR create, edit, and burn software um, to watch the grandkids on the television. Thank you so much. <laughs> DVD or DVR? DVR create, edit. and But she doesn't say if she's a Mac or a PC user. But... Um, now, see, DVR means it's on a digital video recorder. Right? Yeah. So that means she has to be able to get it off the recorder and then onto the Mac to, or, or, or PC or whatever computer she's using to do the editing. Yep. See okay. how we have to translate these when we get these emails <laughs> wow. in? Provide as much information as you can. <laughs> so and we're going to reply to her 
uh, after the show and ask sure. you to provide more information. Yeah. In yeah. that particular case, that's going to require a lot more uh, than a free solution that's going to be able to offer because she's going to have to have some sort of mechanics or cabling to even get it out of the DVR into the computer, and then after, uh, and then she has to have some software in the computer that's going to receive that. So now she's getting into something a little more high line. Maybe Photoshop elements might do it, but I'm thinking more she's going to have to go with uh, Premiere. Wow. Oh, Premiere, which is the um, which is the photo, uh, which is the video editing software. You can't even buy the software; you have to rent it. Oh, is that no? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but she she doesn't have to rent it forever. <laughs> yeah, tw- yeah, that's true. You that's you true. can do it on a month to month subscription. You can do it on a yearly subscription. So you have a choice. I know it's all going that way. I just <laughs> I know it drives you crazy because you want to buy and keep. Yep. And and, and, and that's this interesting. Rick Becker's it, it, that's kind yeah. of the the model that's out there right now is rent, not buy or lease, yeah, if you will. Yeah, subscriptions to the software. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, they, they are economically price, <clears throat> excuse me, pricing them. And the value add to that is it's always up- updated. That I think yeah. is probably the big one of the biggest ones. You're not having to buy the software again or boy the the old um, I'm trying to think of um But now remember, here's here's the other paradigm that goes along with that. No, you don't have to buy the the software ever again. And no, you'll always have the most current version. And yes, when they put out a new version and it requires new hardware, guess what you got to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got burned on that when I first got my first, uh, um, you know, Windows 95, and I bought a uh, Norton license, you know, antivirus with a lifetime subscription. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. And guess how many years that lasted me? <laughs> what is the a lifetime? lifetime of the computer? Yep. That was it until 1998 when Windows 98 came out. That was it. Yeah. What is a lifetime anymore? <laughs> it's yeah, I mean, there, measured there, quite differently. There's so many different ways we can go. And yes, you, you could probably find software that's standalone that you could buy and load onto the computer, and you don't have to do a subscription based service. Mm-hmm. And you can work that way too. It's just. Do you have the time to hunt it down? Do you really want to do it? And most of all, will it do everything that you want you want it to do? All right, don't be bashful. We've got phone lines open and we've got some time left to answer your questions. Rick Beckers and Kel Carson, Ed Riddell, myself, Foster Brown, here to answer your questions at 800-859-0957. We're almost running out of time, but still room for you and your question. 800-859-0957. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today. And Brick Pickers, thank you for being with us here, sticking around. Rick was uh, with us in the first hour. He's the president of uh, Cloud Tech One. And um, you were here in the first hour with Mike Brennan. And you were talking about a conference that's coming up called IoT Tech Connect. And that's coming up in October, right? That's correct. October 11th to 12th. Very good. And we will certainly be publishing more about that. Rick's also been helping to answer some questions here. John from Macomb, we'll be with you in just a second. But you wanted to respond, Rick, to a question you kind of heard as part of that last one you posed. Yeah, I I read it from Linda. She wrote it during the show, and I thought it was addressed to Cal, basically. But Mac Software Message Body, um, please recommend an easy DVR create edit and burn software to watch the grandkids on on uh, the television and uh cal and i interpreted one way rick but you just interpreted it probably the most logical way well what i was thinking is perhaps linda had the uh the videos and the pictures on the computer and was asking you for some software that you'd recommend so that she'd be able to burn them off 
onto a DVD and then play them on the TV's DVD player. That makes perfect sense. And so the one that came to mind for me was Cyberlink's Power DVD. Oh, yeah. Right. That usually comes pre-installed on many computers yes. for PCs. Yep. Now, how about if she was a Mac user or something? Mm, now, I, believe you, I believe you do have a version of the uh, Cyberlink product out there as well for that. And the, For the Cyberlink. And Cal, do they still offer Handbrake for the Mac? Or, or, or uh, if she has movies on her computer of the kids... What, what was the native Mac? Would uh, iVideo be able to burn DVDs? iMovie is what you, iMovie. you would get uh, uh, on a uh, on a Mac. Uh, so the CyberLink for the PC? Cause well, actually, I take that back. It would be iDVD is also... Uh, 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 you get two. You can get iMovie and iDVD on a Mac. I think it comes shipped with it automatically free. I understand. Yes. I was playing on the words I there, so I'm sorry. Well, there were two oh. I, No, there's two I's. <laughs> and then the other thing is Don't that handbrake, <laughs> handbrake you can download from handbrake.com, and it works on Mac, Windows, and also Linux uh, platforms. Ooh. Okay. There you go. Excellent. All right. Well, let's head back out to our callers here. And again, the number is 800-859-0957. And welcome, John, from Macomb. How you doing, sir? Oh, good. Um I upgraded my computer about a year ago and um, to a new computer, and I looked and looked all over the net to try to find uh, a driver for the Zune software uh, version 3.3. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just came out. So <laughs> this is Microsoft's media player that yeah. pretty much uh, failed. Even Gary Baker got one for his daughter uh-huh. and uh, eventually had to cave and uh, got her an uh, case of a player. Technology that Microsoft, for all their might, have not been able to make more technology. <laughs> They've not been able to work. I'm having to replace my wife's Windows Phone because it's not being serviced have, any longer. I have no idea where you would get the um, the multimedia software on that. And, oh, and what I've done is I've installed Linux on a computer downstairs. So when I'm hunting for software, and sometimes it goes to sites that I don't really want to go to with a PC, I'll use the... Uh, uh, Ubuntu PC, and that way I can navigate and click on links and don't have to worry about infecting my computer until I find a site that might have legitimate software. And uh, and then I can attempt to download it and uh, test it on a on a virtual PC. What version of Zune software are you looking for again? Uh, 3.3. And oh, okay. like you said, it's a 30 gig uh, uh, software that has about 25 gig full with about 6,000 songs. Ouch. So you, you can't go back to Microsoft.com and find anything out there? Nothing. And and just was uh, mentioned is that when I've gone to a few different sites with that allure of what they might have, um, every time my um, uh, some virus protection comes up and says, don't load it, basically. <laughs> yeah, pay attention. I, I wonder if you right. might be able to find that at Ninite. What, what is that name? The, oh. Ninite. N i n i t e dot com. Right now, you said Zune, correct? Right. Z u n e. Microsoft's first attempt at trying to sell a hardware product that was compatible or would work or sell against the iPod. Yes. Correct? Yes. Yes. And are you talking about the physical hardware device, or are you talking about just some Zune software? I'm talking about Zoom software. The problem is is that Microsoft linked the two together. So unless you upgrade both of them at the same time, you basically can't talk to one another. So Oh, wow. 
I have not gotten rid of my old computer because of that. Now, do you have the ability with the old computer wow. to possibly export the songs in some manner to an external hard drive? Is, is some modern um, media player like um, you know MP3s or? I, I've been able to get all the music out and put it on a stick. So, like when I'm in the car, I can play it on the. Oh, uh, there you go. I, I can play it on the stick. So I have a stick of 32 gig. So this is just a personal challenge just to get the Zune working again. What about Zune users groups? Have you looked out on the net and seen if you could find any of those? I, I have tried, but they're all dealing with, you know, they're all going into the uh, Xbox and everything else at that point in time. Yeah. So they upgraded it, uh, the Zune software, to be more compatible with the Xbox, and, the, and they basically said, forget, forget the old platform, you know. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I'm no expertise here. They keep on. They know. keep on doing that. Forget my my daughter's Zune failed, and uh, the process was to take it into the iPod, iDrop, whatever the uh, repair center was, and they actually converted the Zune device over to an iPod. Oh, really? And that's how I got the data from the. Oh, from they were the, actually able to do that. They for actually wow. must have had a, uh, a export import or migration software package for that. You know, the other thing I just thought about, Foster, is maybe he might want to check with some of the PC users groups in the area, people who use Windows computers. Uh, check with some of those users, user groups and see whether or not anyone in there might have something they might be able to point you to for Zoom. Mm-hmm. Okay, I appreciate it. I, I, felt, I felt good when it was actually brought up on... Um um, Big Bang Theory. About when, uh... <laughs> yeah, oh, I it think was it was in Gu- Guardians of the Galaxy 2. They <laughs> made a reference to it at the very no. end of the movie where it says, and guess what? This was going to be a present for, you know, the... Um, you know, Star-Lord, and it's called a Zune. <laughs> and it has, get this, 32,000 um, songs, you know, <laughs> or something I like that. It. It's you know, really... because he has the tape deck during the movie. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a quirky reference. Well, the really cool thing about this is now, now I know five people who had Zunes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for calling. Thank you. Uh, all right, John, thanks so much. That's a flashback. Boy. Oh, my goodness. Well, Microsoft is good for flash- flashbacks at this point. Um, but, you you know, you deal with Microsoft an awful lot, I would imagine, oh, yeah. with the, uh, especially with, the, with security and uh, networking. Right. 35 years I've been doing this. I was a typewriter repairman before the computers even no existed. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I did teletype repair, too. Yeah. Yep. In yeah, the 80s. The old deck writers and all that jazz. Oh, my God. The LA 100s. Oh, yeah. my God. Him and so I could I've been talk. working with every version ever since. And, <laughs> I'll be there. You know, we can find answers to that fellow's problem. It just yeah. takes a bit of digging and finding the right person. And, yeah, know, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. I don't know if I want to dig that deep in the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm I, guardians I of the universe. The I love that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sneaky reference in there. Well, Rick Beckers, thank you so much. It's been a delight having you with us. My pleasure. And, I uh, do it again. I really enjoyed it. Drawing, uh, drawing on your rich uh, wealth of information and experience here. And, uh, and again, You know, I think it makes good sense for folks to pay attention as they're listening out there right there. If you have a small to medium business and you really want to get your IT in shape and make sure it's fully covered and things are going well and get it managed at a fair price, you want to get in contact with uh, Cloud One Tech, right? Cloud Tech One. Cloud Tech One. I was close. 855-6-CLOUD-ONE.
There you go. And we Operators have. Operators are standing by to take that <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> We've got uh, that link to Rick and to CloudTech one up on our homepage right now. Thanks, Ellis. Hey, thank you so much for, for being here. And uh, Cal and Ed, we will see you after, uh, of course, another busy week. Yep. And by the way, don't forget, folks, uh, that on Sunday night we post the full podcast of today's program at internetadvisor.net. And if you have any questions for us, you can also send it to us via email on the contact link on our homepage at internetadvisor.net. You've been listening to the Internet Advisor Show, Detroit's longest-running, locally-produced computer show, with Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and our team of experts. For more information about our weekly show, to ask a question of our experts, or find the show notes for this podcast, visit internetadvisor.net. And look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget to check the other great podcasts available on this podcastdetroit.com network. Thank you for listening.